Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and for all of the people who have written your truths to us. We thank you that you speak to us through your word, letting us know who you are, letting us know your love for us, and letting us know how to live in response to the love that you have shown. We pray that we might, when we hear your word, know your love for us afresh and be encouraged afresh to live lives worthy of the incredible calling you've given us and bring glory to you, our Saviour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been reading uh, from 1 Corinthians. We've been going through for, for a number of weeks now. And for those who want to read along, we're picking it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. 
while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way we'll have to wait for next week. But Out of curiosity, who went to the Mount Pleasant show earlier this year? If you were going around the show and in and amongst all of the stalls they have outside there, you might have seen a stall of Corinthians. You might have seen a group, a Christian group, uh, who among their, their tenets that they had up on the board was that you had to have the gift of tongues in order to be a Christian. Even if you weren't at the Mount Pleasant Show, have you ever come across that kind of thing before? Come across those sorts of people before? The Corinthian church had a problem with spiritual gifts. And it seems very clear in the way that Paul is addressing this issue that there were some who thought that you weren't a real Christian unless you had the right spiritual gifts. And tongues seems to be one that they put a very high emphasis on. And in some ways, you can sort of understand why. When the Holy Spirit first was poured out on the church in a special way at Pentecost, one of the key signs that God gave to show that something new and unusual was happening on that day was the gift of tongues. And likewise, the first time that the Spirit was poured out on the Samaritans, a few chapters later, and the first time that it was poured out on the Gentiles at the house of Cornelius, again, it was accompanied with people speaking in tongues as this sign from God that something new and different was beginning on this day. And from those things, there were some that thought, Well, obviously then when the Spirit comes, that means the gift of tongues comes and the two are inseparable. And it led to some who had the gift of tongues overvaluing the gift of tongues. And so clearly when Paul received this letter from the Corinthians that he's responding to all of these issues that they've brought up, this issue was one of the ones that was brought up. This was one of the dividing lines. We remember this Corinthian church is a highly divided church, divided among who it is they profess to follow, whether Peter or Paul or Apollos, uh, 
divided on, on their opinions about, uh, you know, we've seen that very different ideas about, about sex and modesty and all of these things across the different factions in this church. And now we see that another line of division is this position on spiritual gifts. And so Paul has begun a new paragraph of his letter. Uh, everywhere where it sort of says, now about, that's a particular construction he's, he's written that is sort of signifies he's starting a new idea. And he begins a new paragraph to deal particularly with this question of spiritual gifts. He wants the brothers and sisters not to be uninformed. And it's good for us to be informed about what the Bible teaches us about spiritual gifts. So what does Paul teach us? He starts off talking about the way this church used to be before they knew Jesus. Somehow or another, whatever way it might have been, you were led astray to worshipping mute idols and he emphasises the mute because that was the sticking point Jews always had about idols. It's like they can't do anything, they can't say anything. But somehow or other, you were led astray into believing that these were worth worshipping. Led astray from putting our faith in our Creator who made us and in our Saviour who has redeemed us. So, how do we avoid being led astray? How do we know that someone or something is from God? Well, this is what Paul says in verse 3. I want you to know, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit. Now, obviously, Paul isn't saying that no one with the Spirit can literally like, say those words, because I just said both, and Paul would have said both in order to have it written down by a scribe. But what he means is no one can really truly believe that and profess that. No one, can, no one can speak against Jesus if they are truly believing. And no one can truly trust in him without having the Spirit. And we've seen from this point, Paul moves on to talking about the spiritual gifts and his analogy about gifts. But why does he start with this? Why does he start with saying about, you know, no one can say, no, no one with the Spirit can say Jesus is cursed and no one without the Spirit can say Jesus is Lord? His point is, this is your basis for knowing if somebody is in the body of Christ. Not by what gifts they have, but by what faith they profess. Someone is a Christian and in the body if their faith is in Jesus, regardless of what their spiritual gifts are. And if someone is not following Jesus, don't listen to what they have to say, regardless of how impressive their gifts might be. Now, I don't know whether you've experienced what some of these Corinthian these people in the Corinthian church have experienced. Have you ever felt like maybe you've, you were worried that there's nothing supernatural about you and supernatural about your gifts? Maybe you 
you would have liked to have had some of the more flashy gifts and you know, been able to speak in tongues or have the gift of miracles or laying on a hand of healing. And maybe that would just give us a little bit more assurance as well. Then we can, then we can truly know that we're saved. If I have a gift like tongues that's undeniably supernatural, then, well, Paul reminds us that that's not how you know you're saved. You know you're saved by your faith in Jesus. But perhaps I should back up just a little bit at this point. We talk about spiritual gifts sometimes in the church, but it might be worth answering the key question, what even are spiritual gifts? As Andrew had us sing this morning, we believe our God is three persons, but one God. Three with distinct roles. They they have separate things that they do. It's, It's not correct to say that the Father died on the cross, but the Son died on the cross. Distinct roles, but three that are completely united in will and in relationship. So that they are one God. The Father created us. And the Father continued to love us even when we sinned and turned against him. He is our creator and our redeemer. The Son, Jesus, came and gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. All of us have turned against God in our hearts, have chosen to go our own way. And the Bible is clear that the consequence of that is death and separation from God. If we reject God, we, can, we can't demand to have the life that he has given to us. And we can't demand to have access to him, our creator. But Jesus gave his life paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He is our saviour. Saving us to everlasting life. And the Bible tells us that for everyone who's believed in Jesus, they will be saved, they will have everlasting life and a seal is given of that to show that God will hold his promise And that seal is the Holy Spirit given to us to be a counsellor, to be alongside us, to give us, uh, you know, to teach us about Jesus. The Holy Spirit testifies to us and shapes us to be more like Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. And... I know the Spirit has a lot of work left to do in me to make me more like Jesus. And he has a lot of work left to do in all of us. But day by day, he is shaping us to be more like our Saviour. And as part of making us like Jesus, and as part of enabling us to be God's church, God's light in this world, the Spirit gives us gifts and enables us to do do what we couldn't do in our own strength. So what kind of spiritual gifts are there? Paul lists a few in uh, verses 7 to 11. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
a, a message of wisdom, a message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, uh, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues. And then if we jump to what he says at the end, there's a slightly different list of gifts, of the being apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles and gifts of healing, of helping and of guidance and of different kinds of tongues. And so there's some of those that are the same as the previous list and some that are different. And the thing is, every time Paul talks about his spiritual gifts here and in Romans and in other places, he gives a slightly different list of things. It's probably not worth us necessarily trying to define too sharply, these are the exact names for the different gifts and this is exactly you know, the only gifts that exist. But more so, Paul is saying, the Spirit gives us gifts and here are some examples of what that looks like. Here are some different gifts that I've seen that God has given to people. Some are an extra measure of what all Christians have. Faith was listed as a spiritual gift, but every believer has to have some faith. And so this gift is clearly a special measure over and above of faith. Some, Some of these gifts seem less extraordinary than the others. Teaching. Helping, uh, guidance, or which can also be translated as administration. Uh, in, in other lists of spiritual gifts, he talks about, you know, if your gift is serving, then serve. If your gift is giving generously, then give generously. Everyone who has believed in Jesus has been given a gift by the Spirit in some way. But what the Corinthians wanted to know was, is there one spiritual gift that everybody should have? Or is there one that is the best? What's the best spiritual gift there is? And so Paul responds to that with this illustration of the body. And he was obviously quite proud of this illustration because he uses it in about three different letters. But he talks about us as the church being the different parts of the body of Christ. And first of all, he speaks to those who are afraid that maybe they might not be Christians because they don't have the right spiritual gifts. They don't have the the supernatural seeming gifts. And so he says to them uh, in verse 14 or 15, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? You can see that's addressed to those who are afraid and worried that maybe they don't have what it takes to be in the church, to be followers of Jesus. And he says to them, you are an essential and valuable part of the body of Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't compare yourself to others. You have what you need to have because that's what God has given you. And then he speaks to those who think that they're the only true Christians or the better Christians because of the gifts that they have. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He tells them, don't be proud and look down on others. They are an essential and valued part of the body of Christ. Why do people have the gifts that they have? Because it's what God has given them. We read in verse 18, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And back in verse 11 we read, All of these gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Which spiritual gift is best? The one God has given you. That's the gift that's best. And sometimes he might even, we might have a gift and he might grow and develop a new gift in us as well. But he gives us the gifts as he sees fit on the basis of what is good for the church as a whole. Now there might be some who are unsure today about what your spiritual gift is. I mean, if you've got the gift of speaking in tongues, that's probably fairly apparent that that's something you can do. It might not be so apparent to you that you have the gift of administration or the gift of teaching or even the gift of giving generously. If That might not be a gift you want to have, but it might be the gift God has given you. If you're not sure, a great first step is to pray about it and share your concerns and your worries with God. Another thing is to ask other Christians that you trust. Sometimes other people can see something in us that we can't see. Sometimes we're more critical of ourselves than others are and we don't see what God has been doing in us. I'm very happy to talk with you about it if that's something you'd like to talk about. And I had the privilege of actually mentoring someone uh, who was doing a project based on thinking about what were their strengths and what were their abilities and what was the spiritual gift God had given them. And that was a really good time and I think, I hope, a very encouraging time. So myself and the elders are very happy to talk about what gift it is that God might have given you. Because like I say, not all of them are as obvious as tongues or gifts of healing. But the Spirit is in everyone who believes. And he has given us our gifts finally for a purpose. In verse 7, and this is important, Paul says, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Our spiritual gifts aren't so much, well, my spiritual gifts aren't so much for me, they're for the church. And that's true of all of the spiritual gifts God has given. And in some ways, I, I think actually the phrase spiritual gifts can be a little bit flawed because it can give the implication that the people who have the gifts are the people who are extra spiritual. 
Which is not what it's saying. It just means that these are gifts of the Spirit. That the Spirit has given to us not because anyone is better than any other, but because the Spirit decided that is what's going to happen according to his own will. The purpose of these gifts of the Spirit is not to puff us up, but for us to build each other up. That's why he's made us all good at different things. That's why in wrapping up today, I'd like to just take a moment for us to think, how am I using the gifts God has given me? How am I using the strengths and abilities God has given me? Every person has a role to play within the church. And your role will look different to my role. And my role will look different to somebody else's role. Because that's what it's like for us to be the body. And to each have our distinct place. And the church as a whole is stronger when everyone is playing their part and doing their role. And it's not the same faces on on every thing that happens. Although we are very grateful for those same faces who turn up for everything that happens. You might not have a role, a formal connection with any of the ministries. Please feel free to ask about all the things that the church does. You don't have to get up and preach a sermon or lead us in the worship to have a role. We have our home Bible study groups, uh, which are a real blessing for those who go along. We have the super club. If you have a a greater than average tolerance for a bunch of noisy kids running around and hearing about the gospel, that's a wonderful way to be able to use the gifts God has given us. We have the Sunday school out there where the kids go out and they, you know, it's not just a creche where we keep them busy so the adults can talk about, you know, the Bible in here, but they're getting Bible teaching that's at their level. And there's, there's never, we're always on a skeleton crew of Sunday school volunteers. And that's, that's just a fraction of the ministries that we've got. We've had the, the ladies' nights where, where the ladies come and share together and hear a, a testimony of someone in the church. We've had men's ministries and, uh, you know, and an opportunity for men to come around and encourage one another. We've got the mentoring program at the school. There, the school could always, always would like more mentors than what we can ever provide. To spend just one hour a week with a kid in the school uh, and help. And even though we can't share the gospel in words with them, we can still show them something of the love of God. So not everyone will have the same gift. Not everyone will have the same role. Maybe the role that suits you the most hasn't been invented yet in this church. That's great. Come and talk to me. We'll invent it. We'll make something happen. Because the Spirit has given us each a place in the body. To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And again, I know I've said it like three times already, but this is important. 
God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Let's be what he's made us to be, to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your servant Paul and his faithfulness in using the gifts that you had given him to share the good news and to build up and grow the churches that he had planted. We thank you that you have given us your spirit and that you've given us all unique gifts. You've made us all differently to all be one body. We pray that we might not worry about whether our, you know, how our gifts compare to somebody else's gifts. Let us not be hands that worry about because I'm not a foot, I'm not part of the body. But help us to delight in the fact that you have put us where you want us to be. And Lord, may we glorify you by being who you've made us to be. May your spirit work in us growing us in our gifts, whatever they might be, that we might be able to, as a church, shine your light in this world and show people the goodness of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.